So welcome to the third episode in our series X Docs, where we're really looking at a devotional series of Livewire, just kind of checking our hearts and using some um, different contrasts to kind of figure out where we are. And we've been talking about the fact there are two types of Christianity, at least in my mind. Um, a religion, by the way, if you know what the word religion means, the root of the word means the way we connect with God. So we can connect with God in many different ways and um, we can have different types of Christianity. Um, but in my mind, there are two types. The type of Christianity that seeks first the kingdom of God and the type of Christianity that follows God or connects to God, the right God. We're still Christians, but we do it in a paganistic way. Let me just read uh, this verse to you. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom. So I'm not saying that some Christians are Christians and some are not. I'm simply saying that the way we connect with God makes a big difference. And I've been using this example of uh, an Xbox disc and been saying that if you use an Xbox disc and you give it to somebody with a PlayStation, and they try it, they're gonna think, well, this disc is broken. But in actual fact, it's not broken at all. There's nothing wrong with the disc. It's just that their operating system doesn't read it. And I think if we're trying to follow God, but seeking his kingdom second, it makes certain things harder, finding direction from God, um, finding healthy partnerships with others who are seeking first. We're at kind of a misstep, we're not quite aligned. Thirdly, really, uh, the anointing that God wants to give us not to make things easier, but to make what we do more effective, sometimes isn't there. And so seeking first the kingdom of God is incredibly important. Now, what I've also noticed is that there's a kind of heart transplant. Um, you know, over a period of time, God, God, our hearts change. Sometimes God changes our hearts. Sometimes our hearts just become hardened. So there may be times, as I spoke about in the last episode, where we are really seeking first the kingdom of God, but then sometimes without even realizing that actually disappears and other things come in that place. Sometimes people come on pays and they're chasing their own dreams. But during the year, what God does is he changes their hearts and they begin to seek first the kingdom of God. So there's a process to what God is doing in us. And I want to go through that process now with just a simple illustration. Let's just look at the, 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 this idea of foundations. When something is built, time is taken to prepare the appropriate substructure. The taller the building, the deeper the foundation is required. If a construction firm is erecting a house to occupy one family, then a foundation of only a few feet deep is needed. If instead they're building an office block to facilitate 100 people doing productive work, then a more substantial base is laid. However, if a skyscraper is intended, something that will become a landmark, something that can be seen from a long distance away, something that catches the eye, an even deeper foundation must be developed. So the bigger the thing that God is building through you, the deeper the foundation he is required to build in you. This could be surprising to a lot of us for one simple reason. Because we already know that God has done a work in us, we think 
that whatever foundation has previously been built in us will be good enough for the next thing God wants to build through us. But we are wrong. Let me explain. So when apprentices first come on pays, particularly those that say that are working with young people, let's say they've already been working with a youth group uh, in a small church somewhere, they may kind of almost be the star of their youth group and God's already done a certain work in them, enough for them to really effectively help young people in a small church, in a small youth group. But then God's going to place them in a school. They're going to reach far more young people and have far more challenges. And therefore, God has to do a deeper work in them. What I mean by that is he has to highlight things that when they were just working in the youth group weren't really an issue. But now they're working in a school in a more professional environment. Maybe they are. And as they go on to even bigger things, maybe leading teams or wherever it might be, there's a deeper foundation. So there's this constant work that God is doing in us. And we'll look at what that means practically a little bit later on. All I would say is this, when it comes to finding God's direction in our lives, then actually the design is nearer than we think. Direction is nearer than we think. But rather than looking up, we need to look down. Let's look at our first workshop. First, please read the short excerpt from my book, The Seed and the Cloud, a book about finding direction from God. Then ask yourself the question, what is the specific design for the foundation that he's showing you right now? For that second question to really make sense, because at first you think you know what it means, you will need to read the excerpt. So take a look at the excerpt and then answer those two questions. So when we're looking for direction from God, actually the, the details of what God wants us to do next are closer than we think. The problem is we're always looking to the future and we're always looking to what God wants us to do. But actually the, the specifics are here and now and what he wants to do in us. So if we stopped looking up at the building and thinking, what's that building going to be like? And started looking down and started asking, what is the foundation God doing in me? We're going to get answers to those questions much easily because he gives a generic design for the building, but a specific design to the foundation. And this is important when we think about x docs when we're thinking about this idea of contrasts. So for today, how do we see a contrast? How do we tell if we're seeking first the kingdom or seeking second the kingdom? What kind of Christianity we're, we're using? What kind of operating system we're making our decisions on? Let's ask the question, how? How would we know where we are in this process? So this is where we need to contrast two things. And the two things we're going to contrast today to help us measure where we are as far as seeking first the kingdom of God or seeking it second is in the book of John. It's something that Jesus says to the disciples. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. 
So when the, he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So when we are looking at this um, contrast, let's look at the contrast between disciples and hirelings. Disciples are those who are hopefully seeking first the kingdom of God. But what is a hireling? What does that actually mean? A hireling, mentioned six times in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, is a laborer employed on hire for a limited time whose wages were paid as soon as his work was over. In this sense, Jesus was accusing the Pharisees of being like hirelings, not really caring for uh, the, the work and the people that God had entrusted to them. Now, there are four traits that you see in this passage. Let me just go through them with you. First of all, they think about finishing. So according to the Bible encyclopedia, they are anxious for the end of the day. Hirelings, in this sense, are, are not looked upon well because they're not really that interested in the work that God has given them. They're just looking for when it finishes so that they can get their reward. A second trait of a hireling is this. They are neglectful. They're not interested so much in the flock because they've already got their eye on another flock. You know, you see sometimes that I've worked with lots of youth pastors. Some have been real disciples, really care about the young people. And some are kind of looking at those young people, but they've already got their eye on the next thing. Maybe these young people are a vehicle to the next uh, position they're going to have. Maybe they're hoping to be a pastor and they're practicing on these young people. So to those young people, in effect, they are hirelings. A third trait is this. They flee from trouble if they can. Notice the word that Jesus uses there, ownership. When we own the sheep. In other words, when we own the vision, the own, we own the thing that God has given us. Those who seek first the kingdom, when we own that thing that God has given us, we don't run away when trouble comes. And fourthly, the fourth kind of mark or trait of a hireling is this. They are not remembered. So we see this in, in some other passages that hirelings don't make history. Um, hirelings are not the people mentioned. Disciples are, but hirelings are not. Let me give you a quick example. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Just a real simple example there. There are people whose names are mentioned and we remember throughout history. And then there's the hired men. The hired men are not remembered. There are four traits we can think about when we think of hirelings. What Jesus is looking for are disciples. Now, Jesus was accusing the Pharisees as being like hirelings. So what was he getting at? What was he trying to say to them? The seven sore spots are quite well known in Jewish history. Let me explain. Um, what we don't really understand in modern day Christianity is that the biggest critics of the Pharisees were the Pharisees themselves. Uh, in fact, actually, um, some Messianic, some kind of Jewish Christians 
uh, have even suggested that Jesus was a Pharisee. I don't believe he was. But the reason they say that is he was clearly part of the Pharisaic movements. He was looking towards the same things uh, that they were looking for. He could have preached a lot of the same things they preached. In fact, Jesus said to his own disciples, do what the Pharisees teach. Now he said something else that you'll probably remember, but he said to them, do what the Pharisees teach. So Jesus was a big critic of the Pharisees, partly because they were an embarrassment. They were kind of part of the same movement, but the way they behaved was an embarrassment. Now there's something very specific that I think um, Jesus was bothered by uh, when it came to the Pharisees. But before we look, look at that, let's look at these seven uh, sore spots. And I'm gonna do this in the form of a workshop. So take a look at a hybrid of the two Talmuds as they list the seven sore spots. The shoulder Pharisee, the wait a moment Pharisee, the bruised Pharisee, the reckoning Pharisee, the pestle Pharisee, the duty Pharisee, and the fear Pharisee. Can you guess the meaning of each of the sore spots? So these are the seven common um, criticisms made of Pharisees by Pharisees. These are the things that they would they would pick and say, oh, he's a he's a wait a minute Pharisee, or he's a shoulder Pharisee. Um, what do you think they meant? Just spend five, ten minutes guessing, and then I'll come back to you, and I'll also tell you what I think Jesus' real issue with the Pharisees was, and how we have to make sure that, that we can avoid that. So I wonder if you guessed correctly. I'm gonna share um, why these nicknames were given. Uh, the point really just simply being that the Pharisees themselves knew they had issues. So let me just read these out to you. Um, first of all, there was the shoulder Pharisee who carries his good knees on his shoulder for all to see. Uh, you know people like that, somebody who's a hireling, they kind of carry the weight and the burden for everybody to see, they, they want people to see what they're like. Then there is, the wait a minute Pharisee, who wants you to wait while he performs a good deed. In other words, he, he wants you to see his good deed. Just, just wait a minute while I do this. He's kind of focusing, letting you see the good thing he's doing. Why? Because he wants his reward. Thirdly, you have the bruised Pharisee, who runs into a wall looking at the ground to avoid a woman. I think that's the funniest, in my opinion. Then there's the fourth type of Pharisee. The reckoning Pharisee who commits a sin and then does a good deed to balance it up. I mean, that's quite common. Even with non-Christians, you'll find people who, I did something bad, so I need to do something good. And we don't understand uh, grace. Again, if you're a hireling, uh, really what you're concentrating on is the reward. So you want to make sure you know, you're seen to be fixing your mistakes for the sake of the reward. Another of the nicknames... The pestle Pharisee was one whose head is bowed in false humility like a pestle in a mortar. Then there is the duty Pharisee who asks, what do I have to do? And finally, the fear Pharisee who fulfills a commandment through fear of consequences. So what you notice in these seven sore spots is they're all really about motive. Pharisees were critical of each other because not so much what they did sometimes, but the motive for why they did it. And according to the Mishnah, as you look at this quote, it was self-inflicted. The Pharisees' issues were self-inflicted. So Jesus doesn't really talk about the seven sore spots in the Bible, but what he does do is he talks about the seven woes of the Pharisees. He clearly has 
similar issues with the Pharisees. But what's the basis? What's the, what's the fundamental problem Jesus has with the Pharisees? So some people would say it's uh, that they were hypocrites, but actually there's something deeper than that. Let me point you to the verse that I think Jesus is really struggling with. When referring to them, he says they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but lay themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I think that's the root of the problem, is a hireling, or the, the Pharisees in particular, they put a, a burden on people, but they themselves were not prepared to lift a finger. Uh, they had motives uh, that were ulterior sometimes. They, they liked to go around and and say what should be done, but they wouldn't do it themselves. So we've looked extensively at a hireling, um, but let's look at a disciple. What's the difference and how do we note? You know, we looked at, is there any traits of a hireling within us? But what would the traits of a disciple look like? Well, let's look at the, the marks of a disciple. A disciple, of course, is a follower of Jesus, or as the word Christian means, a little Christ. So let's look at what Christ said about himself, the way we should be as well. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. So a disciple lays down their life. I think that's similar to laying down our dreams and not because we don't believe that God's interested in our dreams, but we lay down our dreams only for God to pick them up and give us them back even in, in an even better way than we first expected. So how do we see this in a practical way in our lives? Well, let me just put a box on the screen. Now we're going to divide this box into two to create two triangles. On the left-hand side, we're going to put the word rights. And on the right hand side, we're going to put the word responsibilities. Now here's an arrow to show upwards growth. What do you notice? What you'll notice is this, that as we grow in the things of God, as God puts that foundation within us to build us and make us bigger people, our rights become less and our responsibilities become greater. A hireling thinks about their rights. I'm going to do this amount of work for this amount of reward. A disciple thinks about their responsibility. They have ownership of the vision. So when you think about this, um, I, I think about this a lot. And, and I also think about the verse I've talked about with the Pharisees, that they put heavy burdens on people, but don't lift a finger to help them. Uh, so I get quite concerned about that because I'm always asking people to do things. I mean, that's my job is to get people to do stuff. So I've created a little um, safeguard. And my safeguard is this. I have a question that whenever I ask anybody to do anything, I almost always ask them this question. Is there anything I can do to help you in what I've just asked you to do? So if I've ever asked you to do something, you've probably heard me say something very similar to that. You know, is there anything I can do to help you in this? See, that safeguard um, has two benefits. Firstly, it stops me just randomly going around, just giving people things to do, because I know that I may have to do something if I ask them to do it. You know, so we make 
Um, we, we ask people to come and join us as apprentices, but every time we have more apprentices, I have to go out and raise um, more finances to, to give them a free apprenticeship. Uh, I have to uh, raise more um, churches and recruit more people, etc., etc. So it stops me just willy-nilly going around and saying, hey, do this, do that, do the other, because I know there's a cost to me. And secondly, hopefully it helps people realize we're partners in this. It's leader and follower, not so much um, master and servant. So when you, when you do this heart check that we're trying to do during X-Docs, when we're trying to sing from the same page, remember doxology is where we sing from the same page as each other and sing from the same page as, as God as well. Uh, when, we, when we're looking for contrast and thinking, well, where am I? I think it's good to have some practical things to think about. Are you seeing traits as a hireling or are you seeing traits as a disciple? I'm sure actually there's some kind of sliding scale there. But are you moving in one direction? Should you be moving in a different direction? I don't know. But I'll leave you with this final workshop to help you. When you think about what God is doing in you right now, please put into the responsibility triangle the specific responsibilities he's challenging you to take on board. And in the rights triangle, the specific rights you know you need to give up. Hopefully that's a very practical way to think about the foundation that God is building within you right now to help you think, am I, am I more of a, a disciple, God willing, than I am of a hireling? Are there any hireling traits in me that I need to tackle? Any rights I need to give up? Hopefully this is helpful to you. Like I say, X-Docs is just simply a devotional series uh, just to help you think through where am I um, in this growth? Am I going towards God or, am, or is my heart going cold towards him? John Wesley said this, worldliness is anything that causes you to lose your affection towards God. So things that God gives you are not worldly, but maybe the way we try to do them can be. Okay, hopefully this is helpful to you and I'll speak to you next time we look at the Live Wire episode, the next episode of X-Docs.